So let's go back to Matthew. You know that's where we're at. Been on this page for way too long. It is okay because we're going to stay there for a little bit longer. It's good stuff. Matthew 21. And we're going to be starting in verse 33. Now when we met with our team on Monday, we thought we were just going to cover the whole and uh, the rest of the chapter and <laughs> nope. I know that I've been keeping you guys super long over the last few weeks. I do not intentionally do that, but it just happens that way, so sorry, not sorry. Uh, but I knew that if I tried to finish out this chapter, there's no way that I could do it justice because there's so much at the beginning and so much at the end that it really needs to be divided up. So the next two weeks will be based on this passage from 33 to the end, uh, and it, it's going to be good stuff. So I'm sure you've heard this verse, right? You've seen this verse, you've heard it preached on that your body is the temple. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God and you are not your own. Now we as believers say that and we claim that, but we really don't live it very well. Because I make decisions that are detrimental to my body. Things that I eat, places that I go, things that I do or don't do. There are all kinds of stuff that we do. That we think this is my body, I get to do with my body as I see fit. Sorry, I hit you quick on that one. But yes, that is an amen moment right there that you just missed. But it's the truth, it's the reality of it. But many of us are like, no, 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 it's my body and I'm going to use it to glorify God and so I'm going to express myself this way or dress this way or do this. And the reality is that's not what God's asking for. God's asking for an internal change. And let's live out that internal change. Yes. For his glory and his glory alone. So your body is no longer yours when you accept Christ as your savior. Why? Because you're bought with a price. He gave his life to buy you from your sin and penalty to go to hell to live for him. So because of that Price, you are no longer yours. Your body is to be used by him, not for your good pleasure. And I know that that's hard to hear. It makes us uncomfortable and wiggle because all of us have made decisions based on what we wanted, what we thought was best, and we really didn't consider what does God want for us. And the reality, the truth of the matter is, our body is not our own. Because we're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify your God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? His. God bless you. We will see you next week. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. That, listen, that's enough. That's a sermon in and of itself. But it's important for us to understand that before we move on to this parable. Because you remember a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was asked the question, how are you doing these things and by whose authority are you doing them? And without answering them straight on, he's answering them through these parables. And in this next parable, for me, he answers the question of whose authority are you doing it? Because we don't like to think that way. We want to think this way. Well, it's a gift. God has gifted me this. The problem is when we take gifts, it leads to entitlement. Think about a toy for a child. 
You go to Toys R Us when they were open way back in the day. You buy them a toy. And the next time you go to Toys R Us, maybe to buy something for somebody else, what's the very first thing that they're going to ask you? Can I get a toy? Why is that? Because automatically we condition them that when you go to this store, we're going to buy you a toy. And when you tell them no, they fuss, fume, and fight. And we are the same way. We believe, because of our upbringing, because of the way that we see the world, that we are entitled to certain things, and it's no different in our Christian life. God has given me the forgiveness of my sins. Therefore, I am titled to all the blessings that he owes me. That's painful to hear, but it's the reality of where we live. We can tell everybody else, oh no, that's not how I believe. But when it happens to you or your family, you automatically slink back into that, well, I have served God all my life. I've been in church all my life. I've been a pastor. I've been a deacon. I've been a teacher. I've been faithful. I've tithed. So God owes me this. And the reality is God owes you nothing. He's already given you the only gift he wanted to give us. But then because of God's graciousness and kindness and awesomeness, he said, I'm going to give you another gift. I'm going to give you the gift of my spirit to live within you. Which is going to help you and guide you and direct you. And not only that, but throughout your life, I'm going to bless you with certain things that you don't know are coming. I just need you to trust me and to follow me. And when they happen, you'll know it. But somehow, we have turned this thing around to, well, if I pray for it, he's going to give it to me. And if I do this, he automatically has to do this. Please show me in scripture where that exists. Now, I understand the sowing and the reaping. But a lot of times the way that we have remanufactured that verse in our minds is wrong theology. And we need to be careful because your body is not your own. And when we get to the idea that God has gifted us something, then we can let it turn into this entitlement mentality just like a toy for a kid. Because we believe God owes us. God owes me. And because God owes me, I can do what I want now. Because it's a gift that he's given me. He's given me eternal life. He's given me forgiveness of sins. Now my bucket is empty. I can do what I want and fill it back up. Because he's blessed me with this wonderful verse in 1 John 1, 9. That if I, if I confess my sins, then he is faithful and just. Not only to forgive me, but to cleanse me. He'll empty my bucket out again and I can fill it back up. That's an entitlement mentality. That is an abuse of grace. It is an abuse of the blessings that God pours out to us. And in today's message, in the parable, we're going to see that this leased land becomes an entitlement to those that have leased the land to simply work it. Kind of like we do at our jobs, right? You're given a job, you're given a pay, they cover your medical, they do all these things, and now they are enti- you're entitled to whatever they, you think they should give you. Okay, just making sure you're tracking, because I think you are, but I know you didn't want to amen that, because when you amen it, then it's set. 
But it's already set. It's what we do. It's where we live. It's who we are. But the reality is, guess what? The skills and abilities and jobs and houses and cars and stuff, it's not yours anyway. It's all God's. It's all God's. So, here's a thought that I have for you today. Your life is a gift to be used for God. Rocket science, right? You didn't know that. You've been waiting all your life to hear this truth. Because you had no idea that that's what this was all about. But it's really the heart of the matter. Your life, this gift that God has given you, is not for you to exploit and to do all the things that you want to do. It's for you to use for His glory. And dare I say, there's a lot of things that we as Christians think that what we're doing is bringing glory and honor to God. And really what it's doing is distracting people from the glory of God. And we need to be careful. So let's dive into this story and let's pick it apart. We're going to stop at verse 40 and we'll pick up the rest of it later on uh, next Sunday. So again, Jesus uh, was asked, whose authority? How are you doing this? How's this working? And he says, I'll answer your question if you'll answer mine. They couldn't answer, so he says, I'm not answering yours, but I'll give you a parable. And he told the parable of the two sons. The one said, uh, no first, but came back and did what was asked. The second son said, yes, and never reconsidered and never actually did it. And the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, realized that the first son was the better son. But Jesus doesn't stop there, which I think is phenomenal. He goes on and he says, here another parable. Let me tell you something else. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one of them, killed one of them, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him, cast him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? What a story! Now, these are the religious leaders, and Jesus is going right at them. He says, let me tell you a little story. There was a landowner one time who planted a vineyard. And he didn't just plant this vineyard. He, he built a nice safety netting around it with a hedge or maybe a fence to protect it, to keep the, the evil out and the good in. And he also, in the midst of this wonderful, glorious vineyard that he planted, and the, inside this hedge that he built, he dug a wine press. To collect the juices as they were squished out of the grapes. And then he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire some people to take care of my wine and of my vineyard. And he did. He leased it to people who knew how to cut the vines. Who knew how to pluck the grapes. Who knew how to squeeze the juice out of the grapes. And to dispose of whatever was left. And to do what was proper with the wine and the juice. And so he hired guys. And these guys work all season long and they work really hard. And when it was time for the harvest, because the owner had left, he sent some workers back to collect the juice that might have been collected or the grapes that were there. 
And when those workers got there, the vine dressers, the, the leasees, the people who were working for the owner said, no, nah, I don't think we're going to give you the grapes or the juice, and so I'm going to beat you. We're going to kill you, and we're going to stone you. And that's what they did. That seems reasonable, right? Your boss comes to your office and says, hey, I'm ready for those reports. No, nah, I'm just going to punch you in the throat, and you can go on your way. That's what we're talking about here. It's unreasonable to us, but these vine dressers, these ones who have done all the hard work, all the, the, the grossness and the dirty work, that have spent their, their, a large portion of their life in this vineyard over the last few months or however long it takes, and now they are asked to give up the reward of their, their labor, and they don't want to do that. So word gets back to the landowner. He sends another group of men, and the same thing happens. They're beaten and killed and stoned. And then this time, the owner says, well, man, I, I, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to send my son. Surely they will respect me enough to send my son. This is the heir to my throne. This is the, the guy that's going to be next in line to own this vineyard, and maybe they're going to be working for him someday. And surely they will show kindness and respect to him, knowing that someday he may be their boss. And it's my son. My sweet, young, innocent, lively son. Why would they do anything to him? And the moment that he gets there, they say, oh, I see what he's doing. Let's kill him. And when we kill him, then we can have his inheritance. I want you to think about that statement. We're going to kill him and get his inheritance. That's an entitlement mentality. They have no reason to even suspect why this owner would give them the inheritance of this young man. But in their flawed thinking, in their desire to get what they wanted and to do what they wanted to do, they misshape their thinking and they see it absolutely wrong. And so they take this young son outside the vineyard, by the way, which is super important. They take him outside the vineyard and they kill him outside the vineyard. And what's left, only for the owner to come back. And the question is posed by Jesus, what do you think this guy's going to do? Now, in this story, there are so many important moving parts. I mean, you've got the vineyard, which is representative of Israel. You've got the vine dressers, which is representative of the the, uh, religious leaders and the Pharisees. And you've got the hedge of protection, which could be the law. You've got the the wine press, which is the Holy Spirit working in lives and, and changing lives and getting the goodness out of what he's already created. There's so many good things there. But when it comes to the son, I just want to hit this really quick because it's so important. The son... We know, because we have the luxury of reading this, we know it's Jesus. These guys don't yet. But they do recognize that they are the vine dressers. And when they take him outside of this vineyard, outside the wall, that is usually what would happen when they would do the sacrifices. And he is our sacrifice. And he was sacrificed outside the city walls. I just find that astounding that Jesus in his great storytelling way in that moment depicted everything that was happening right to them. 
and all they could see was themselves. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So here's the vineyard. The vineyard represents Israel. It also represents you for today. And I want you to notice that this vineyard was created by, it was owned by, and it was gifted by one person. By the vine dresser. Uh, excuse me, the vine vineyard owner. The guy that bought the land and planted the seeds and built the vineyard. Built the hedgerow around it. Put it in the wine press. That's the guy. And for us, who has built you? Who has owned you? Who has created you? Who empowers you? Who moves you? It is God. God alone. This is why that verse, when we go back to the first of the sermon, when we talk about that your body is no longer your own, it is vital for every believer to absolutely understand and believe that. Because without that understanding, none of this other stuff's going to make sense. None of this other stuff's actually going to work because we will think we are our own and our, the master of our own faith, the, the ruler of our own lives. We get to call the shots for ourselves and that's going to mess up what God has in store for us. And so in this parable, we see very quickly that he says, no, it's already been set up. It's already been set up and it's all been created and owned and empowered by God. So let's talk about the wall. The wall is interesting, right? None of us like boundaries. I don't like speed limits. That's a boundary. Right? I mean, you think about animals. A lot of times, animals that are inside a fence, what do they do? They get as close to that fence as they possibly can, sometimes sticking their head out to get the grass on the other side of the fence. When they have an acreage to run and play and to eat. It's what we do. The walls are there to help us. And in this instance... For this vineyard, and he's talking to the religious leaders, to the believers that are hearing, he's talking about the law. The law is there to protect us. We look at the Ten Commandments as a bunch of don't do's, right? Don't do this, don't do that. The reality is what it's saying is, here's what's best for you. Don't commit adultery because it's really bad. It's going to mess up your life. It's going to mess up anybody else's life. It's just going to jack a lot of things up. So it's best that you shouldn't partake in that. It's not a, don't do this. It's a, please, oh, understand what you're getting yourself into. When you give a lie or when you're being deceitful or a false witness, it's messing trust up. So don't buy into that. If we can change the tone in which we read the Ten Commandments, it could change our lives. Because the law is there to protect us from what is outside trying to harm us. And it keeps us within this wonderful boundary system, this wonderful system of the law that keeps us free in the spirit to enjoy everything that God intended us to enjoy. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. How many walls were built there? None. Because they were in perfect harmony with God. Until sin entered. And then we have to start creating these boundaries. They get kicked out. The law is there to help us, folks. It's there for our our betterment. It's there so we can live according to it to bring glory to our creator. But not only that, it gives us those boundaries and those safety nets. Listen, there are a lot of things outside these doors that we need to stay away from. And the great words of Charlie Baker. Stop it! Well, I guess it was Bob Newhart. 
Stop it. There are things that we are involved in now that we feel it can be used for God, but we're not quite sure, so we're going to continue to do it because it makes me feel good. Stop. Until you know for sure, until you can accurately look in Scripture and say, this is good, this is bad, stop doing it. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, don't. Just don't. If you're not sure, wait until you're sure. But you better have good scripture to back it up. Because your body is not your own. If you are a follower of Christ, your body is not meant for your pleasure. It is meant for his. And the law is there to protect us. Listen, we as parents and the older generation, we have lived life and we know what our kids are, for the most part, going to face. Technology-wise, maybe a little bit different to the, ex- to, uh, to the degrees that they're going to experience things, maybe a little bit different. But we know the general concept of all the emotional stuff they're going to uh, face and all the physical stuff they're going to face. We know. So teenagers, kids, if you're hearing my voice, when your parents say, don't do that, it's not because they're trying to be meanie heads. It's because they know. They understand what they are trying to keep you from. They love you. They're not trying to ruin your life. They're not trying to make your life miserable. They legitimately care about you. And by the way, let me throw this out. It's not that they just care about you, but they are responsible to God for you. And so you may not like it. You may not get it. But let me tell you something. You're not responsible for those things right now. So let them parent and trust that they are following God. Now, if what they're asking you to do absolutely violates the principle of God, then we've got a whole different conversation. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the teenage rebellion that creeps up in all of us. Stop it. Trust your parents. I know that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. But i got some life experience that far exceed my children. And I can help them in a big way. But I don't want to lord it over them either, parents. There's a way to do it and a way not to do it. Anyway, man, that, goodness gracious. <clears throat> the walls are there to redirect us as well. It's the reason we go to Scripture to read. I have a thought. I think this is best. I go to Scripture and the law that is in here, the wall that God has already created, helps redirect me in the direction that I should be going. But no, 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 no. You know what we do? We get on our phone, we pull up Google, we pull up Facebook, we text our friends, the friends that are tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. And then, sometimes we don't even do that, we just say, eh, feels good to me, I'm doing it. What's the purpose of the law then? What's the purpose of even claiming Christ? Christ is there, the Spirit is there to protect us and to redirect us when we need it the most. Unless your law had been my delight, would then have perished. I would have then perished in my affliction. That's the psalmist writing that. If I had not gone to your word, if I had not just cherished every word that you had given me, then guess what? I would have perished. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man. Paul, in this chapter, is such a good chapter, talking about the things that he knows he should do, and he struggles in doing it. And the things that he knows he shouldn't do, he struggles in not doing those things. 
And he says, I know that it is good for me to have the law of God in my life because on my own I will goof it up, but when his law is in me, it's going to help me to live better. That's what this is about. So the wine press. The wine press is interesting because at first we started thinking about, well, this is where they squish the grapes out, this big rolly thing, or maybe they're just standing there chomping up and down. But it's also to dig a big vat or a cistern into the ground to where as they're squishing it, it gets all the good stuff. It has one job. This wine press has one job, is to squeeze out the goodness from the original creation to create something better. It goes from being good to being so much better when the Spirit is involved. It goes from a juicy grape, which I love, to making it better into grape juice, which I like more. Because it's better. I don't have to chew it. There's no work involved. You take a sip and you're refreshed. Grapes, man, you got to chew on it. And if they got seeds, that's even worse. I'm being silly, but you understand what I'm saying. You are good people. You're good people. But when God gets a hold of you and squeezes you and life gets tough and he's getting the goodness out of you, you are going to be better. That's what the wine press is for. That is what this vine dress, uh, the vineyard owner understands. And it is what we forget. God, I don't want to go through that. God, I don't want to deal with that. Please just take this away. And God's saying, you don't know what you're asking. I have this here for a reason. I got something I need to get out of you. It's going to be a little painful. You're going to feel a little squeeze. But once we get past that goodness, it's going to be better. And it's meant to be filled up. Did you know that when we submit ourselves to a holy God, we are emptying ourselves of ourselves? Well, if we are empty, then we've got to be filled up with something, right? Well, that cistern is empty and it's waiting for the goodness to be squeezed out. And so if we have submitted ourselves to God and we have been emptied, we are waiting for his goodness to fill us back up. And the only way to do that is to get squeezed. I don't want to get squeezed. I'm tired of getting squeezed. I've been squeezed enough. I got no more juice. And God said, I created you. I know what you have and what you don't have. Take a big breath, you big baby. And watch what I'm going to do. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says this. Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do what? His will. will, Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Please tell me in there where it says at all that he's doing all of this to make you happy or to give you what you think you need or to give you what you think you deserve or to meet that entitlement perspective we have. Notice in there, we aren't mentioned except to be squeezed and to be used for the greatness of God through the spirit of Jesus Christ. You know, I look at verses like this And I look at churches all around the world, and I'm like, man, how are we missing this? 
seems so simple. I mean, we sit in here and we amen it and we're like, yeah. Guaranteed, though, the moment we walk out those doors, this is not a knock on you. I'm not trying to be mean and nasty. I just have lived long enough to know myself that a lot of times when I've heard sermons like this and I agree with these verses, I'll walk right out those doors and not change a flipping thing. And I miss so much. James 1, 2, and 4, through 4, excuse me. This is a good one. My brethren, count it all joy. Woohoo! When you fall into various trials. Now, that's not fun for me. I don't do really well on the onset of practicing being joyful in trials. I'm a fusser, I'm a powder, I'm a complainer, I withdraw. Am I hitting any of those things that's familiar to you? And James says, Alan, dude, you're, you're missing it. When you fall into a trial, this is something that's good for you. You're in the wine press. God put you here because he knew something needs to be extracted from you, and it's time. Your father, who knows you best, who loves you the most, is not trying to squish you to death. He's just trying to get something better out of you. So count it joy, knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But wait, if he squeezes me, then I'm losing something. No, you're gaining so much more. It's changing, it's morphing, it's, it's going to be different and just better. It's better. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. A lot of scripture today. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It does not say, That you may be filled with the fruits of righteousness so people know how amazing and awesome you are. So they can celebrate you and promote you and just, you're it. That's the trouble with the modern day Christianity in my view. Is we have taken this notion that because I'm a believer, God owes me so many things, therefore I'm entitled to all his blessings. And I don't have to do anything about it. No, no, no. The fruits of righteousness, that means i got to be actively pursuing him. Actively letting him squeeze me out. To be turned into something that he wants for me. i got to have knowledge and discernment that is gifted by him, but I've got to go after it. I've got to know enough that when things are excellent, I can approve it. And when they're not, I'll know it. Why? For the glory of God. And then the watchtower. He makes a watchtower in this thing. What a novel idea. To protect them from the the onslaught of maybe animals or robbers or whatever. 
There's a watchtower there. It's to provide overwatch and to provide protection and in many ways to provide shelter for those that are working there. Isn't that a great thing? I always joked, I, I wish I could shrink myself and just walk around on my kid's shoulder in school and just say, hey, nope. Not a good person to hang around with. No, don't, hey, did you just say that? Like, you know, just work with them all day long. I want to be their, their overwatch. I want to be their protector. I want to provide shelter for them. Well, did you know that you actually have one inside of you? The Spirit of God is your watchtower. He is watching over you. He is protecting you. He's providing shelter in those moments where we do not feel safe. Look at these verses. In Isaiah 21, verses 6 and verse 8, he says, For thus has the Lord said to me, Go, set a watchman, let him declare what he sees. The entire responsibility of the watchman is to bring alarms to those things that are going to harm you. That's the greatness of the Holy Spirit. Not only does he bring the love and affection from God, not only does he help us grow, but he sends up those red flags that we love to ignore. Verse 8, then he cried, a lion, my Lord. I stand continually on the watchtower in the daytime. I have sat at my post every night. That is what the Spirit of God does for you. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He is always on the watch And he will always say, bad idea. Don't do that. Probably not good for you. Watch out for that thing or that person or that object. Isn't that encouraging? Then why do we not use it? Hope so. I hope you use it more and more and more. Because that's why it's there. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We have a safety spot. Someone that will be looking over us and cast a shadow over us to protect us. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom or in him I will trust. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. This is Jesus speaking. He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance. So to your remembrance, all things that I said to you. I love that. Most days. The reason we only love it most days is because sometimes when he speaks to us, we don't like what he has to say. Because it goes against what I want to do. It goes against what pleases my flesh. It goes against what I think and interpret scripture says is okay. If your spirit says no, probably a good idea to not do it. And if your spirit says yes, on both accounts, I still would double check it by the scripture. Because sometimes our hearts Not sometimes. Our hearts are always deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we can trick ourselves. You're a vineyard. Did you know that? You are absolutely a vineyard. You are leased by God. He owns you. He created you. And he bought your life with a price for those who are following him. 
And those who aren't following him, I just want you to know he's already purchased your life back. It's time that you accept that. With all the provisions needed to be safely squeezed. That is the the great part about being a follower of God. Is he's already created within us, now with the spirit living within us, the safety net to be squeezed to get out what needs to be gotten. And he just wants to release all the goodness that he's already created in you. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, are you ready for that? Do you really want that? Because there's a lot of believers that are like, you know what? I'm just happy to know that when I die, I'm just going to go to heaven. I don't, I don't know about all this other stuff. I'm just going to kind of do my little thing over here. You are missing out on so much. So much. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. To go against what my flesh wants and to do what the Spirit of God wants me to do, that's difficult sometimes. But because of what I've experienced in my life, it gets easier because I know on the other side of this hard decision, of this hard um, um, conversation, or of whatever he's asking me to do, I know on the other side it's going to be better for him. You thought I was going to say better for me, didn't you? It might not be better for me. In the physical sense, think about that. But it will always be better for him when we handle it the way that he's called us to handle it. Notice this. Whose authority is it? It's God's authority. The wall was created by God. The wine press, it's owned by God. And the watchtower, that's his gift. Now, here's what's interesting and how I know God works in crazy ways. When I was developing this sermon, when I previously stated in the slides before that, the created, owned, and gifted, I didn't realize he was going to pull it together the way that he did there. And that's just neat to me. Because that's the God we serve. Each and every one of you is a vineyard. And he has already created this wall around you. He's created the wall through his word. He's already let us know how we are to live. And you are owned by him as a follower of Christ. As a born again believer. And he's wanting to squeeze you. Now I know that doesn't sound very warm and fuzzy, fuzzy, right? But if we can see him as someone who is taking what is good and making it better. Then yeah, it's good. And his gift to us. He's watching over us all the time. Let me end with this passage. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This is Paul talking about all of his beatings, all of his jailings, all of his mistreatment. And he says, I want you to know, people of Philippi, as you're reading this, that every thing that has happened to me that you may view as bad and awful and terrible, I'm telling you, they were, but look at the furtherance of the gospel that has taken place. He says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. 
He says, all of these horrible things that you think or see as horrible, I'm looking at them as, yeah, they're bad, but look what God is doing in the midst of it. He is squeezing the life out of me, but praise and glory be to God. Now the palace guard knows how great our God is. Now these other believers that were following me who were scared are now emboldened to preach the faith. Listen, many of you are being squeezed right now and people are watching. What are they going to see? What are they going to see? Your life, your life is a gift to be used for God. It's not your own. You don't get to do with it what you want to do with it. Except to submit it to him and lay it at the altar of his feet. As the praise team comes, let me ask some some questions. Number one, when the owner sends a messenger to you, what do you do? I'm not just talking about me. There are plenty of messengers that come up that he uses And when that little small voice speaks in your mind or in your heart, when the Spirit pokes you, what are you doing? How are you responding? What are you thinking? When the owner sends a message, what will you do? When the owner returns, because he's coming, what will you have to offer him? What will you have to offer Hopefully a life squeezed out with new goodness to offer back to him. And then lastly, do you really appreciate the squeezing of the Lord? That's a really tough question because, I mean, most of us want to say, well, sure, amen, absolutely. But in our heart of hearts, do you really appreciate it? I know when I discipline my boys and even Emma, I know they don't like it. I can see it on their face. They're a lot like me. They can't hide their emotional responses. But I know deep down they understand where I'm coming from, even when they don't like it. And I know that if I just say what I need to say and leave it alone for a minute, they will work around and understand that what I'm doing is for their betterment, and they trust me with that. Can I just tell you For many of you today, you are feeling the squeeze, and I know it. God is not against you. He is not mad at you. He's not upset with you. But I'm telling you, he absolutely loves you. And he sees something in you that he wants to make better. And so he needs to squeeze you a little bit. And my prayer for you this morning is, will you just trust that and accept that it is God's love for you that he squeezes you into making you better for his glory. It's not always pleasant, but it will always be glorifying when it's done in him. God, I thank you for your love. And Lord, it is a little bit of a struggle for me to say I appreciate the squeezing because Admittedly, God, there's a lot of times I don't. It hurts too much. It's too hard. I don't even like it. But what I can say in those moments that I get frustrated or I run 
try to rebel. I just want to say thank you for your patience with me, your perseverance in making me into who you want me to be so that I can bring glory to you because of a life that has changed because of you and through you. So God, for me this morning, help me to learn how to appreciate the squeezing. I just ask that you be gentle with me. You know my heart towards you. But you know me best. So I offer myself to you to squeeze away. God, that terrifies me to even say but I do trust you. Lord, my heart goes out to my friends that are here today. They don't like to be squeezed either. It's a little scary, a little overwhelming at best. But I pray that your spirit, being the great watchman that he is, would closely walk with those that are being squeezed even now that you would just wrap your arms around them and allow them to know that you are for them and not against them. And that this squeezing moment that they are experiencing, whether light or stiff, will be for the betterment and for the glory of the gospel of Jesus. Give us that confidence, God. Give us that strength and that power to go through the squeezing process that we may be all that we can be for you and for you alone. For the hearts that are heavy today, I pray that you would allow them the courage to come to the altar today and lay their burdens at your feet. For those that are feeling the squeeze, I pray that they would come and submit to you and appreciate the squeezing, asking for vision to see the direction that you're heading with them. God, you know the hearts that are here, those that truly need to seek your face this morning. Pray that you would move as only you can in Jesus' name.